John chapter 20, verse 1, he says, Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, God bless these folks, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Imagine her astonishment. She had seen them put Jesus in the tomb. She had seen them roll the stone over to seal the tomb. She had seen the Roman soldiers uh, posted outside of the tomb so nobody can steal Jesus because there's a lot to lose on all sides. So we don't want to lose the body of Jesus. She walks up. The stone has been rolled away from the entrance. Verse 2, she ran and found Simon Peter. So she leaves the tomb. She goes back to where the disciples are at. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple. John is so coy. I'm not going to say my name in my own book, so I'll just say the other disciple. So she ran and she got Simon Peter and John, the one whom Jesus loved and was the most humble of all the disciples. You got to love him. He's, he's, got, he's probably 10 years-ish younger than all the rest of the guys. So he's like, uh, he's just crazy. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom God, Jesus loved. She said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. At this point, she is most concerned about where is Jesus' body. It's missing from the tomb. It has not dawned on her yet that he may have risen. He just is missing. That's all. Amber alert for a dead guy. That's weird. So Peter and John, they run back. They've taken. Peter and the other disciple, verse 3. Peter and the other disciple, they start out for the tomb. They were both running. Now, if you're a guy, you know what's about to happen. They were both running. Both the other, John, disciple, out, or pardon me, but the other disciple, John, outran Peter. Because this is a significant fact in the story of our salvation. <laughs> Come on, John. I'm just saying, I'm not naming names, but the other disciple that Jesus loved, he outran Peter. <laughs> and he reached the, t- the tomb First, this is not a competition until you have two guys involved in it, and then it's a competition. Verse 5, the Lord Jesus has died, and they're having a foot race. Come on, guys. Verse 5, he, being John, because he's the one that outran Peter, he stooped and he looked in, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there. Okay, you know, they wrapped Jesus up in this linen cloth. And the linens are still lying there, but he didn't go in. John's a big chicken. Verse 6, that's what the message says. Uh, he didn't go in. He, he, then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, which the cloth that had covered Jesus' head, while the cloth that covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Somebody left here in a very orderly way. They took the wrappings off, folded them neatly. Jesus' mother Mary would be so proud, he made his bed. He put his clothes all folded up, rolled the, stu- the stone away, and he left in a very orderly fashion. This wasn't, this wasn't panic, this wasn't chaos. Jesus had a plan. It's like, this is cool. Sun came up this morning, I'm out of here. Hmm. Simon Peter arrived, he went inside, he also noticed the linens, I already said all that. Verse 8, 
Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first. He's just poking at John and making sure that all of eternity knows that John can run fast. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and what? Believed. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Who is this guy? This is John, right? This is some guy that Jesus picked up along the way as a young man. He's been, pardon me, he's been traveling with Jesus for quite some time. He's seen Jesus perform incredible miracles. He's seen Jesus heal people. He's seen Jesus uh, feed the 5,000 and the 4,000. He's seen Jesus walk on water with the other disciple. They didn't run. Right? John has seen some things. John has been on the inner circle. Peter, James, and John. They're the inner circle of Jesus' little group of men. If there's anybody who should have believed because they saw, John has seen the life of Jesus. He's listened to him teach. He should know what's going on here. He should have already believed a long time, but it says the disciple who outran, uh, who reached the tomb first, also went in and he saw the empty tomb and he believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. And then they went home. They finally got it. They finally put two and two together. This whole time, Jesus has been, has been teaching. He's been telling them that this is going to be like, like the sign of Jonah, that they're, we're going to be in the belly of the well, going to go into the earth for three days, and on the third day, he'll rise. And they're like, yeah, we don't understand what you're talking about. He tells them, I'm going to rebuild these walls in three days, and I don't understand what you're talking about. Finally, whenever the disciples, Peter and John and Mary, they go in, they see, they see that it's empty. Finally, the light bulb comes on and they realize what Jesus has done and they finally believe, they understand. Verse 11, Mary, was, Mary Magdalene was standing outside the tomb crying. Jesus calls her by name and then she's like, oh, this is Jesus. Verse 17, don't cling to me, Jesus said. I think that there's some details left out of here. <laughs> Don't cling to me, Mary, for I have not ascended. I have not yet ascended to the Father. <laughs> but go and find my brothers, the other disciples, who just went running down the road, and tell them, and all the other 11 disciples, tell them, I am ascending to my Father and who? Your Father. To my God and who? Your God. That just stands out to me in this text. Jesus, the Son of God, he's finished his earthly ministry. He's on his way back to heaven to, to all of the amenities of being back with his, with his own Father in, in heaven. Yet he makes a point to make an intimate statement. I am ascending to my Father. And hey, Mary, by the way, now through the blood of the cross and the resurrection from this grave, I'm ascending to your Father too. Oh, that's cool. Mary, I'm going to be with my God and I'm going to be with your God as well. This is our God, co-heirs with Jesus. 
Verse 18, Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them. She runs home, tells all the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. So at this point in the text in the story, Jesus has risen from the dead. He's no longer in the grave. For all those still doubting, watch what happens next. I always am intrigued with, uh, I'll tell you in a second. Um, got you all wound up. Huh? Some of you lean forward. You're leaning in for the big hit, and then oh, we're going to talk about something else. Concession stand break. At Easter, we often have these articles, or you hear news reports, or people are talking about the validity. Can we authenticate that Jesus was really a man? Did he really live on this earth? Did he really die? Was he really raised to life again? And I always think that it's, I just am amused by it, because we have to do this year after year after year after year. We've been doing it for 2,000 years. We have four eyewitness accounts who wrote, partly as historians, partly as theologians, uh, Luke, he says, hey, I've gathered all a whole bunch of eyewitness reports from other people. So the, the gospel that we have is not just the stories of four men. We actually have the stories of hundreds of people who put all this information together and say, Jesus was alive. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. He appeared in the scriptures. We have evidence that Jesus appeared to over 500 people after he was raised from the dead. And 2,000 years later, we're going, hmm, not sure if it happened or not. geniuses. All right. You notice I don't have a point this morning, right? I'll make a point later. Verse 19, we have Jesus all risen. He's out of the grave. He's talked to Mary. She's gone home to tell the guys what's happening, that Jesus has ascended to our Father. Verse 19, that Sunday evening, a little bit of time has passed. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors, great men of faith and power. <laughs> Our Savior lives. Let's stand out on the front lawn and sing, He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. Does anybody else know that song? <laughs> Still don't, huh? <laughs> that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Are you picturing this? Twelve men who have seen the miracles of Jesus. Now the grave is empty. He said he was going to rise from the dead, and it appears that he has. He just told Mary, tell the guys, I've raised from the dead. She comes back and tells them, Jesus has raised from the dead. And they're scared of the Jewish leaders. So they're hiding. They got the doors locked. They're probably have a prayer meeting because that's what we do when we're scared, right? We have a prayer meeting. Nothing wrong with that. Suddenly, poof, Jesus was standing there among them. And he says, peace be, be with you. <laughs> really? We have the doors locked. We have the windows shut. Nobody can get in and out. We've all got our eyes closed because we're praying, oh, Father, who art in heaven. We're really scared. Do something. You open and peek your eye, and there stands Jesus. How did he get in? It's a ghost. And he says, peace be with you. Dude, I already wet my pants. It's too late. No. Come on. Some of you are too cool. You're like, oh, I could take it. No, you wouldn't. These guys are scared stiff. Peace be with you, he said. Verse 20, as he spoke, 
He showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. So at first, you got to figure they're freaking out. How did Jesus get in? How is he alive? We saw him hang on the cross. We all were part of taking him down, putting him in the tomb. I guess some of them may have been. I don't know if they were. They know that he was dead, and now he's standing here fully alive. He shows them the wounds in his hands. He shows them, here, look at my side. See where the the soldier stuck his, his spear into my side. They were filled with what? Joy when they saw the Lord. All of a sudden, they know that the Messiah, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, he lives. He didn't die and stay dead. We saw him die, but now we see him alive. So they are filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Verse 21, again, he said, again, he says, because they're wigging out, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Now, there's a great point for a great message but not today. Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father sent me here to earth to minister, to bring salvation, I am sending you to take salvation to other people. We have this huge responsibility that Jesus gives the disciples, the followers of Christ here in this text. Do you see that? Okay, good. Now we're moving along. Verse 22. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sin, they have... Actually, let's back up for just one second. Verse 22, he breathed on them and said, what? Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, that's significant of where we're going here in a second. If you forgive anyone's sin, they are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So we're here to forgive other people, to carry out the ministry of Jesus, to forgive. Verse 24, One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, he gets named. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, so Thomas wasn't in the room. And on Sunday evening, disciples are scared, in the room, lock the doors. Jesus shows up, shows his hands, shows his side. Thomas wasn't there. He didn't see it. So they all go and tell Thomas. They They told him, we have seen the Lord. Now, even in a group of people, if I showed up on, uh, at your house and said, yeah, I saw my dead relative, you would think, peace with you, Brent, you're kind of special. <laughs> you just stand right there. We have a special jacket for people like you. So the disciples go and find Thomas and they say, Thomas, we have seen Jesus. We've seen the Lord. He is alive. But he replied, Thomas, he said, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. I'm not going to believe it unless I see it. We kind of identify with Thomas, right? I mean, we always talk him down, but the fact of the matter is, I would bet that most of us are more like Thomas than we are like the other guys in this story. Verse 26 Eight days later. So we're well past the initial uh, resurrection of Jesus. Time has gone on. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. And this time, the doors are still locked. (laughs) 
They're locked in this room being careful, worrying about the Jews because they think that the Jews are going to accuse the disciples of stealing the body of Jesus. Because even the Jews recognize that Jesus had taught that he was going to rise on the third day. So the Jews know that if he actually disappears, then people are going to say, well, he rose on the third day. Well, the disciples are afraid because they think that the Jews are going to come after him to make it look like Jesus rose on the third day. Do you get it? They didn't do anything. But he has risen. The disciples are scared. Um, The doors were locked. But suddenly, again, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Poof! And he says, peace be with you. (laughs) Don't be afraid whenever I just appear in your little terrified situation. It's a great sermon there, right? Because sometimes Jesus appears in our terrified situation, and we go, oh, who's that? (laughs) Hello, I'm your Lord and Savior. You've said you're my follower for the last 40 years. (laughs) I'm Jesus. (laughs) Oh, okay then. Jesus shows up, and he says, peace be with you, disciples. There's no need to be afraid. There's no need to be afraid of the Romans who might think that you stole the body of Jesus. There's no need for you to be afraid of the Jews who think you may have stolen the body of Jesus. There's no reason for you to be be afraid. Peace be with you. Why? Because Jesus has showed up on the scene. Verse 27. And then he said to Thomas, oh, this is tough. Thomas is with all of his buddies, right? They're hanging out being scared already. All the other guys have seen Jesus alive, so they have a little different perspective. Thomas is standing there. He knows what he told the disciples before. Now Jesus shows up in the room, and he looks at Thomas. You know that moment when you are busted? You didn't tell mom and dad what you did, but you know somebody else did, because mom or dad walks into the room, and they say, Brent, I don't know what I did, but I did it. I can tell I did it. (laughs) It is bad when the Savior of the world says, Thomas, what did I do now? Then he said to Thomas, come here, Thomas. You ever get the finger? Come here. Thomas got his head down. You know he's got his head down. He says, Thomas, put your finger here. Wait. The doors are locked. Windows are closed. We're standing here being terrified. And now this apparition shows up and you want me to touch you? (laughs) The story gets weirder and weirder. Jesus says, Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand in the wound in my side. Just touch it. This is real. Evidently, that was tangible. Even though Jesus appeared, He's not just a ghost. We don't really know a whole lot about the post-resurrection physical being of Jesus. We just know that he is physical, and he appears and disappears. I don't know. It's beyond the physics of this little world. Are you all right with that? Because some of you are like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Of course it doesn't make sense. He's a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, not of Farmington. So yeah, things are different. (laughs) Well, I don't understand it. Neither does Thomas. And that's why Jesus appears to him and says, touch it, dude. It's real. Jesus, I think sometimes God wants to shake us and say, why do I have to fit in your little bitty brain? 
Thomas, touch me. And it says, he says, don't be faithless any longer. And then with an exclamation point, he says what? Believe. Thomas, I'm standing here in front of you. You can see me. You've heard that I've done this one time before, showing up, you know, in a locked room. You know that I've done this before. You can visibly see me. Now you can touch me. How much empirical evidence do you have to have to know that Jesus is alive in order for you to believe that it's true? And the fact of the matter is that we can have empirical evidence till Jesus comes again, and we still won't believe because it's an issue of faith. Thomas, stop being faithless. Trust in a God who has mapped out this impeccable plan of perfect salvation. From Genesis 1-1 until today, he's been unfolding this plan of salvation for you and I so that we can be washed and cleansed of our sins so that we can have eternal life and go to heaven with our God. It's pretty cool. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe, Thomas. Verse 28, we see some humility here. I think Thomas believes. He says, my Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. I think he puts it all together finally. The light bulb comes on. He realizes that this is not just a temporary game anymore, that all that Jesus taught and all that Jesus promised, it is coming true. It has come true before his very eyes, that Jesus has a kingdom, that he is Lord and king of a kingdom that does not, that is not confined by the rules of this world. We thought Jesus was going to be a military leader. We thought that Jesus was going to be a king of the Jews and overthrow the Romans and and stop the oppression of the Jewish, the Hebrew people. We thought it was going to work out a certain way. We had it all planned out in our head. Have you ever done that? Yeah, (laughs) I do that often. I have it all planned out in my head and then God does whatever he wants. Thomas had it all planned out in his head of how God was going to do this, how Jesus was going to unfold his kingdom and his rulership. And now it all comes together. The light comes on and Thomas says, my Lord, my God. Then Jesus told him, you believe. This is kind of tough. Tough for Thomas, but it's great for you and I. Then Jesus told him, you believe, Thomas, because you've seen me. You've touched my hands. You've touched my side. You've seen me. You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. You and I don't have the privilege of having Jesus show up incarnate, post-resurrection, stand here on Sunday morning and say, here, touch my hands, touch my side. I really am here. We don't get the privilege of seeing Jesus, but we believe anyway. And the scripture says that we are blessed because we believe without seeing. Now, we're towards the end of the text. Watch what happens. Uh, We're at the end of the story. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book, in the book of John. But, verse 31, these 
are written so that you may continue to believe, so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, everyone say, by believing. By believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Oh, man, that's a lot of good stuff. It is because of Jesus' resurrection that you and I have the opportunity, that you and I have the privilege. We have the provision to possess life by the power of Jesus' name. It is because of the resurrection we have the opportunity of life in Christ. You with me? Pretty cool. You see, Jesus' resurrection is not only about once you, you and I die, then uh, we have the hope of a physical resurrection. That's definitely part of it, but it's the least significant part of it. It gives us hope, but can't really cash that in today, Right? If you die, you'll be resurrected with Christ another day. The resurrection of Jesus is also about you and I having the life-giving power. You got to get your brain around this. This is my one point, so you gotta, I got to make it good, right? The resurrection of Jesus is also about you and I having the life-giving power of the resurrection alive inside of us. Boy, Brent, that is an incredibly grandiose thought. Romans 8, 11, one of my favorite scriptures, he says in capital letters, he says, the Spirit of God, are you with me? I know this is deep already. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, that's what we're celebrating today, in case you're still wondering, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, the Spirit of God Almighty who went into that little earthen tomb and breathed life back into Jesus, not just bio-life, not just biological life. In the New Testament, has two words for life, bio and zoe. Bio has to do with your heart's pounding and your, your breathing. Zoe is spiritual life. So the Spirit of God goes into that little earthen tomb and raised Jesus from the dead. Who, let me back up and read the scripture. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, the next phrase is, lives in who? You. Yeah. Yeah, us. That's good. That'll work too. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life, watch this, to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. He repeats himself. The spirit of God is in you. He's going to give you life. He's going to put this spiritual life, the spirit life of God into your mortal body, the body that you and I have now, God's going to put his resurrection power into yeah, Brent, that's good preaching. Amen. I like that. I'm going to give in the offering a third time. <laughs> yes, it is good. Okay, good. Through the resurrection, God gives life to our mortal bodies and the body that we have today. You have life in Christ today. Now watch what Paul does in Galatians, another favorite scripture of mine. So I got rid of my whole outline and just put in all my favorite verses. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's a scripture you're probably familiar with. 
My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives where? In me. So I live in this earthly body. It is now, buddy. God and his resurrecting spirit and power is at work in this body today by faith. Are you with me? Because we have this really bad habit of saying, oh, well, well, whenever I raise from the dead, then, you know, whenever I'm resurrected like Jesus was resurrected, one of these days in eternity, I'm going to have this great opportunity to be close to God, and all of God's salvation will be completed way, 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 way down the road. And that's just not what the scriptures teach us. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God is not desiring that you die as Jesus died so that you can be resurrected again. That is not the end game. God is desiring that you die to your sin-filled, self-serving nature so that you'll be set free to live from the absolute true source of life, Jesus Christ. Instead of living from your own desires, you have the opportunity to live from the power of the resurrection of Jesus. It's kind of like Peter We don't need to worry about dying for Christ. Remember, Jesus says, hey guys, I'm going to die. And he's like, no, I'll die for you. He draws his sword. Jesus is like, no, buddy, you, you know, you're worrying about dying for Jesus. You don't need to worry about dying for Jesus. You need to worry about living in Christ. A big difference. God doesn't really care how you die. It's not significant to him. Just messed up some of your theology, huh? These are written, verse 31 tells us, so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He's the Son of God. And that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. God's plan of salvation does not stop at forgiveness of sin and leave you and I to live a powerless life. God's salvation is forgiveness of sin, and it is power to live victoriously over sin, to live a life that displays the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. God's plan includes not just life, but life more abundantly, more eternally, more victoriously. I thought that was good. (laughs) I love my own sermon. God's plan includes not just life. I'm trying this again, okay? God's plan does not just include just life, but life more abundantly, life more eternally, life victoriously. Oh, yeah, there we go. You got it. We're victorious. Dude, I made deviled eggs yesterday. I'm more distracted than any of you. (laughs) Easter is about the resurrection, coming to church, and deviled eggs. And I'm looking forward to it now. (laughs) My daughter and I, that's our Easter tradition. We make deviled eggs. And we sneak some before we take them to the family dinner. Anyway... 
confession's good for the soul. We are not believers. I'm, I'm coming to this big, grandiose ending, and you guys are distracting me. We are not believers living as though we are about to die. Oh, this is so good. We are not believers living as though we are about to die. We live as believers. As believers. If you're not a believer, then I'm not talking to you. As I'm not speaking to you in this context. Oh, come on. You know what I mean. As believers, we live as people. Hang on to your chairs. I may get raptured here. If I get raptured, Larry, you know what to do. Continue my notes. Sorry, Larry. Larry's going with me if, if, if we're going to go together. As believers, we, sometimes I get so excited about what God is doing that I just, man, I could leave the skin laying here on the platform. I would be gone. And then I don't know what you guys would do. Go home and eat deviled eggs, I guess. As believers, that's you and I who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. We live, we live as people who have been born again into the eternal life of the family of the everlasting God. You just won the eternal jackpot. That's awesome. We don't live like we're about to die. Oh, it's so hard being a Christian. It's so hard to serve God. Did you know that Jesus rose from the dead today? So terrible. <laughs> Come on. No. We no longer live with a spirit of fear, but we live with a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. We no longer put ourselves above or before others, but we humbly serve others like Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. We humbly serve others regardless of whether or not they deserve it. Not a name in there. Sin no longer has power to separate us from God and those we love. It is because of the power of the resurrection that sin no longer has victory over broken relationships. That is why Jesus, in chapter 17, that Josh and I both preached on, Jesus prays, he says, Father, make them one. How one? As you and I are one. That's a high standard. Jesus wants us to be one. He, takes the, he removes the power of sin so that relationships can be restored with each other and with God. So that relationships can be restored so that when the world sees the body of believers so united by the one spirit that raised Christ from the dead, they will be compelled to believe in Jesus as well. That's the church that Jesus was praying for us to be. We no longer suffer the legalism of the law, but we live in the freedom of walking in the spirit of the resurrected Savior. Did anybody else ever walk with God? Remember Adam and Eve? Kind of cool, huh? God did that. Sin and death have been beaten. Jesus is alive. He's alive in those who believe. If you don't believe, I'm really, really, really sorry. But for those that do believe, I'm really, really excited because the life of God himself is in us because of the resurrection. God is not near as concerned with how you die as he is with how you live. God wants you to live in Christ Jesus. God has made every provision for you 
to live in the fullness and the power of the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Are you getting your brain around that? It's awesome. Praise team is coming because I want to sing Happy Day again. Because I like that song. Because it's a happy day. I'm going I'm to repeat myself. I'm going to make some closing remarks while they're getting in place. God has made. This isn't on you, sweetheart. This is because of what God has done. God has made every provision for you and I to live in the fullness of the power of the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Church, we have no excuse for living defeated, sin-filled lives. We have been redeemed for eternity. We have been equipped by the Spirit of Christ to live more abundantly, eternally, and to live victoriously. All of us. Amen. Amen. I know that all of us at some point have been in the same place of Peter and John and Thomas in this story where we may need a little coaxing to believe. But I believe with all of my heart that when we do place our faith in Jesus, that his eternal resurrecting life and power comes to reside inside of us. It is a risen Savior that you and I have to hope for and to have power in. We don't live just for today. We live for eternity. But God has made provision for us to live today victoriously. If you have not placed your faith in Christ, I want to pray with you. I'm going to pray a very general prayer. If you have placed your faith in Christ, I'm going to pray with you, all right? Let's all bow our heads together, and then we're going to stand and sing. Father, we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. We celebrate that life overpowers death, that your goodness, your righteousness stands victorious over sin and death. Lord, we thank you. We are grateful because we understand completely, completely that we could not do this in and of our own power. And so we turn our hearts to you and we say, Lord, we believe. We put our faith in you. We trust you with our lives because obviously you're more powerful with life than, than we are. Here is our lives. Take our lives. Use our lives to exalt you. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come and envelop these physical beings, that you would come and the life of Christ would be in us, to live a life that is united, that, is, that glorifies you and that honors you and that points other people towards you. Lord, I thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts and our lives. Lord, we pray that you'll continue to use Desert Heights to reach out to the greater Farmington area. God bless your people. Lord, I pray that you would bless the, the time that these families have to spend together today as they celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. I pray that that time will not be lost on mundane things, but that as we join together, your Holy Spirit will be powerful in us. Your resurrection life will be powerful in us to reach out, to be a testimony and a witness that you are the living God. We love you and we thank you. We give you all glory and praise. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Everyone say amen.